Welcome to Claim Stories, actual accounts of professional liability claims against Ontario licensed architects, chosen from the 6,000 or so cases defended by ProDemnity Insurance Company. The ProDemnity Claim Stories were originally written by David Croft. The stories are factual, but some elements have been altered to protect the identity of all parties involved, the guilty as well as the innocent. Architectural practice, it seems, can be far more exciting than most people imagine. But in architecture, as in life, the wrong kind of excitement can be perilous. Architectural creativity often involves exploring new products, or in some cases, finding new uses for existing products. It's expected that architects will make sure that these products are approved for their intended use and that their installation or application will be carefully monitored. But be aware that the associated risks of experimenting with new products can be burdensome, and as the architects in these two stories discovered, the penalties can be severe. In this story, an architect chooses an approved cladding for a retirement home, but within a year of installation, the material proves unsuitable. There is product liability involved, as well as the replacement cost of several hockey pucks. We call this story, The Puck Stops Here. The architects, Gerald Mills and Associates, had designed a two-story retirement home for Driftwood Incorporated on the outskirts of an eastern Ontario city. They had specified a construction system consisting of lightweight synthetic blocks that closely resembled Rice Krispie squares. The blocks were laid dry with no mortar between them and held together by a surface coating of acrylic stucco over a nylon mesh on both the interior and exterior faces. The manufacturers advertised their crispy block system as load-bearing and, with the addition of spreaders, able to take the point loads exerted by beams and trusses. Further, crispy blocks were fully approved by the authorities having jurisdiction. Also, they were inexpensive. The owner's plea was that the building, which had been completed less than a year ago, was rapidly descending into decrepitude. Stepped cracks were evident inside and out, water stains were disfiguring both surfaces, and overall, the stucco had assumed the uneven look of crude, badly maintained adobe. Adding to the building's shabby appearance, local kids had discovered that they could test their hockey skills by whacking pucks and stones from an adjacent playground into the stucco walls. A particularly energetic slap shot could bury a puck more than halfway into the wall. Some of the residents were incensed by this ingenious vandalism and vigorously removed the objects by hacking at them, that is, the objects, not the kids, with walking sticks, which only made the damage worse. The owners, out of concern for the safety of the residents and their own investment, demanded remedies. The pro-demerity claims professional took the step of visiting the building to assess the conditions in person. We harbored no illusion. Remedial work was definitely required. In their defense, the architects claimed that the problems were the result of either poor workmanship or product failure. The workmanship was obviously subpar. The failure to reinforce joints to spread the point loads had resulted in stepped cracking through the wall, both faces of the wall, with some blocks protruding and others recessed, 
undulated like wind-blown snow. The acrylic stucco coating varied in thickness from paper-thin and transparent to more than a centimeter thick. And since the product had been officially approved, problems could not possibly have derived from the architect's professional service. The architects confessed to ProDemnity that they had recognized early on that the materials were not very good and regretted being swayed by the product salesperson. They vowed that they would never use this product again. But this presented a problem. If the architects were asked about this in a straightforward question during cross-examination, this honest opinion would severely weaken the defense. Our best chance at recovery would be to rely on third-party claims. In other words, share the guilt. The engineers had accepted the system, with no questions asked. Joists had been placed with direct bearing on the crispy blocks, but without ensuring that the loads were properly carried. They had visited the site and had signed off on the structure. The engineers insurer was appropriately concerned and agreed to follow ProDemnity's lead, accepting shared liability, if any existed. The general contractor was a straightforward, honest, and industrious sort who had done his very best. At a meeting with the potential defendants, their respective insurers, and their lawyers, he told his story, explaining the problems he had encountered. The blocks, he said, were supposed to be 30 centimeters thick, but the dimensions varied a centimeter plus or minus. This randomness meant that any attempt to keep both exterior and interior faces flat would meet with certain failure. So the mason devised a solution. By staggering the blocks very slightly, the wall thickness could be averaged out, creating two slightly irregular surfaces instead of one that was wildly uneven. The acrylic stucco and mesh applied to these surfaces was supposed to be three millimeters thick, consistently, but to minimize the unevenness, the contractor varied the thickness of the stucco. This strategy, he admitted, had failed. In his view, the stepped cracking had been caused by the drying and subsequent shrinking of the blocks. The spreaders had been placed in the joints, as intended, but he noted they consisted only of a few horizontal strips of nylon mesh. Maybe the design was inadequate. How could he know? What he did know was that he didn't want a lawsuit. He was prepared to contribute a modest sum or undertake remedial work if he were told what to do, and if the others pitched in. The product manufacturer was not in good shape. Their crispy block business had been suspended and the owners were now living abroad. They were represented by their lawyer, who was uncertain whether she should even be there. She was willing to cooperate as far as she could, but since her duty was to defend her client, she didn't admit to any product shortcomings. It was clear that there would be little comfort or contribution from the manufacturer. The settlement negotiations were civilized. The owner's lawyer was patient and surprisingly content to play a mediation role rather than the more usual role of the virtuous avenger. The defendants agreed to hire a third-party consulting engineer to report on the situation and suggest remedies. The owners agreed to wait. The engineer's report served its purpose well. The structural problem was serious but not catastrophic. Provided that the owners were not hoping for a perfectly flat wall, 
and were prepared to accept some surface imperfections, structure could be inserted and the walls would be repaired. Various payment formulas were proposed, each defendant claiming that, since they were entirely blameless, their contribution should be only a token amount. We also needed to work out formulas, one if the manufacturer were insolvent, and another if there proved to be some other viable entity to claim against. The remedial work began. The architects prepared contract documents. The contractor agreed to do it at cost. The owners agreed to accept the third-party consultant as the certifier of the work. In the end, all parties contributed. The manufacturer revived a little and contributed a modest sum. The owners reduced their claim to the cost of the work for giving quite legitimate consequential losses. The remedial work was completed and the architects were fully released from any further claims. We were lucky to be dealing with an owner who had a problem solver for a lawyer rather than a saber-toothed tiger. By working things out, rather than engaging in the more usual, vigorous, confrontational defense, all parties benefited. A refreshing atmosphere of reasonableness pervaded the controversy, and by avoiding the litigation process, everyone saved money. In this story, the problems can be attributed to one conspicuous cause. Untried products should be used with caution, with the risks understood by all involved. But there are several other important lessons to be learned. Lesson number one, new and improved products appear all the time, and architects are encouraged to keep abreast of these technological advances. But in using new products, be reasonably certain that the benefits outweigh the risks. Lesson number two, Always think twice before believing the promises of product literature and salespeople. When using a product that is new to you, do your homework. Ask many questions, document responses, and use common sense, along with a healthy degree of skepticism. Share your findings with your clients so they understand the potential risks as well. Lesson number three Generally speaking, some building materials and methods are better suited to some climates than to others. For example, some adobe structures in the warm and arid American Southwest are the oldest continuously occupied buildings in North America. For adobe to work in cold, gray climates or in Canadian conditions, special measures may be required along with careful ongoing maintenance. Lesson number four. Approvals by various authorities, CMHC, underwriters, labels, fire marshals, etc., are necessary and comforting. But if the product lacks a proven track record in your region, it may not perform as expected. Quoting the authorities seems like a good defense, but it may not exonerate you. Lesson number five. Product liability is an area of law that continues to receive a lot of attention. But such liability is meaningless if not backed by resources. When dealing with a new product, always be aware that the relative impermanence of the company that produced it may have a bearing on any future legal action. If the Crispy Block manufacturer had maintained a viable business, we could have approached this case very differently. Lesson number six. Prodemnity Insurance Company does not endorse or pre-approve any products processes, or materials. B 
be wary of public claims of products or materials being pre-approved for use by ProDemnity. Always do your own due diligence and document it. As an architect, any final decision regarding the suitability of a product or process and whether the requirements of your ProDemnity policy are being met is yours alone to make. Last and not least, lesson number seven. The drive for greater sustainability in design, as well as the durability and resiliency of the built environment, will continue to challenge the architectural profession. And while ProDemnity supports architects to take the risks necessary to design a better world, we do so by championing your wise and efficient management of risk. Consider potential risks well in advance and discuss them candidly with the owners and other parties involved. Then, budget accordingly for those known and unknown risks. When an architect accepts a commission to replace a leaky roof, their client naturally assumes the use of appropriate roofing materials. But not only does the architect choose an unsuitable material, they mishandle the work and fail in several of their duties to the client, leaving the project completely unmoored. We call this story Floating Alternatives. Mrs. Irina Stepanovich is the owner of a senior's residence and nursing care facility. She hired architect Madison Moonstock to provide full architectural services for some alterations and additions and the replacement of a leaking flat roof. The total value of the contract was around $250,000. The architect's tender documents had called for the replacement of the existing roof with a traditional, high-quality, three-ply, tar and gravel, built-up roof with insulation tapered to drains. What had been provided instead was a single-ply coating of marine waterproofing, little more than a thick paint that blanketed the roof and everything that was resting on it at the time. The result of this ill-advised and poorly considered application was a year-long nightmare of caulking and patching that failed to stop the roof from constantly leaking. Finally, Mrs. Stepanovich had called in some roof experts. The roof had been stripped and something similar to the architect's original specifications was installed. Mrs. Stepanovich's case was straightforward. She knew nothing about construction and had trusted her architect completely. Her architect, meanwhile, had allowed the substitution of an inappropriate marine product in place of proper roofing materials and had not properly supervised the work, turning a blind eye to some atrocious workmanship. The expert reports that Mrs. Stepanovich had received noted that the specified slopes to drains, flashings, upstands, collars, etc. had never been installed. Instead, an acrylic marine paint membrane had been sprayed over the roof and everything on it, including miscellaneous rubbish. There had been other problems with the renovation work, but the roof was the major claim, and it was enough. The plaintiff's claim was for the costs of these remedies, loss of revenue, and other assorted damages. 
Mrs. Stepanovich was a qualified nurse in her mid-70s. She had been operating her retirement residence for 35 years and had an impeccable record. But her reputation, as well as her operations, had been badly damaged by the mess created by the negligence of the architect and the general contractor. Rooms had been vacated and patients had been sent home or to other institutions. The architect, when questioned by Prodemnity, described how they had discovered the Miracle Marine product. They had met a salesperson in a booth at the boat show. This salesperson had explained the miraculous properties of the product and had given them some attractive marketing brochures. It dawned on them that this was a perfect solution for a leaky roof. If it could keep boats afloat, surely it could repel raindrops. They had eagerly shown the brochures to Mrs. Tapanovich and had discussed the substitution with her. Not only would it do the job, they said, it would also save her money. She would be getting a credit for the reduced cost. Moonstock, the architect, did not actually supervise the work. The contract only called for review, which they believed was a lesser standard and didn't require inspection. They had placed complete faith in the contractor and the supplier to ensure that the work was done properly. Everything seemed shipshape, so to speak, when the certificate of substantial completion was issued. The roof looked good and wasn't leaking, but eight weeks later, just after the 45-day lean period had expired, it started to rain, and the roof started to leak. At Moonstock's urging, the contractor had made numerous visits, caulking openings, ceiling cracks, and so on. The architect felt that they had done all that could be expected of them. Entreaties to the manufacturer and supplier were ignored. The statement of defense entered by Prodemnity appointed counsel was all pro forma. We denied that we were liable for the detailed workmanship. We stressed the architect's limited role in the review of construction we confirmed that the plaintiff had agreed to the substitution. We stated that we had relied on the manufacturer's claims for his material as well as the contractor's workmanship and supervision of his own work. Furthermore, Prodemnity objected to the amount being claimed. Even if the architect were liable, which we denied, we shouldn't be required to pay for the betterment provided by the new roof. The credit that Mrs. Stepanovich had received meant that, in the end, she had paid for a less expensive roof, so any damages against the architect should be limited to the losses related to the abandoned roofing system. As for the loss in operational revenue, and so on, we referred to the architect-client agreement, which stated clearly that the architect was not liable for such consequential damages. We also cross-claimed against the general contractor and third-partied the supplier and manufacturers of the marine membrane. It was a skillful and well-crafted defense of the possibly indefensible. The general contractor had no defense. He was insolvent and uncooperative. The suppliers denied that they had ever claimed that the product was suitable for application to anything except a boat. The material was sold as a marine product. It was also assumed that any purchaser would read the instructions before using it. Apply only to clean, smooth, well-prepared surfaces. 
It was never intended to be used as a spray coat over roof gravel, metal flashings, ventilators, and dry leaves. This was an extremely plausible defense, and there seemed little point in serving the manufacturer with a notice. Their offices were located in California, and any case against them was virtually non-existent, except in the mind of the architect, who had relied on the word of a salesperson at a boat show. In discovery, Mrs. Stepanovich proved to be an excellent witness in her own cause. The facts were clear, and she had a shrewd understanding of the process. She could not be tricked into admitting that she had knowingly accepted the risk associated with the substitution. The credit she had received was a few thousand dollars, a trivial amount in any circumstances. As for the betterment issue, she had only done what her engineer expert had told her to do. She was in no position to research more economical solutions. The architect and the contractor had already fumbled around for two years, failing to solve the problem, and now she had a proper roof. But it had cost her dearly in the various damage categories that she was claiming. She wanted to get back to her business, looking after people who were old and sick. The architect did not make a good impression. They kept no records and were unable to back up any statements they made. The product brochures clearly referred to marine applications only, but Moonstock could not describe, let alone identify, the salesperson whose word they had relied on and naturally could only offer personal assurances that the conversation with Mrs. Stepanovich had even taken place since nothing was written down. As for the credit, they could not explain why the amount was so little and so obviously unrelated to what must have been a huge saving. There was no documentation of this either. When they were shown photographs of the appalling workmanship of the original roofing contractor, whose work they had certified, they merely sank lower into their chair. Under the crossfire, Moonstock completely forgot the guidance provided in the pro-denity pre-discovery training sessions and virtually confessed to everything, admitting that they had no excuses and felt foolish. Moonstock, pro-demnity, and defense counsel were all relieved when a break was called and the discovery was over. Pro-demnity counsel reported that the plaintiff's counsel, flush with anticipated victory at trial, was considering upping the stakes and pushing the claim to the insurance limits and beyond. We looked at the evidence again and read the transcripts of discovery. In light of the facts, especially the photographs, the ignored product instructions, and the conduct of the defendant, we made the decision to settle. The offer was for the out-of-pocket costs of the roofing disaster, the cost of the high-interest construction loan that Mrs. Stepanovich had obtained to do the remedial work, and a contribution toward legal costs, as well as the professional fees of the engineer expert. After the usual bartering, an amount was agreed to and a settlement was reached. Prodemnity had chosen to go through discovery as a tactic to reach a settlement that recognized the betterment provided by the final roofing solution. The original contractor had obtained quotations for the roof system, as specified, and we felt that those figures represented the true cost of the work, 
not the much more expensive design that Mrs. Tabanovich's consultant had provided. We now regretfully admit that we had overestimated the architect's credibility under cross-examination. We never expected to win the case, but we didn't expect to lose so thoroughly either. Architects have a right to expect a vigorous defense to claims made against them. However, defending the indefensible is costly and does not enhance the reputation of the profession or prodemnity. In this case, a trial would have doubled our risks and involved additional legal costs. Both sides were well represented legally, but the plaintiff was also supported by a convincing and credible presentation and proper records. Lesson number one. Don't be swayed by the promises of miracle materials, especially in instructions that feature lifestyle images in lieu of technical information. Under any circumstances, avoid twisting or ignoring the manufacturer's instructions. Lesson number two. No matter what you may have been led to believe, review can be taken to mean inspection of critical matters. Constant attendance or supervision is not required of architects, but when they are on site, they are expected to examine carefully, i.e. inspect the work. This architect had no excuses. They were on the roof on many occasions and failed to observe horrendous workmanship. Lesson number three. Follow your lawyer's instructions. Whatever pangs of guilt or remorse you may be feeling, Try not to crumble on the stand. You will only undermine your own defense and give the other side the upper hand. Thanks for listening to this edition of Claim Stories. We hope it was instructive and entertaining as well as cautionary. Remember that every jurisdiction and every case is different. Always refer to the laws and regulations governing your local jurisdiction and consult a legal, architectural, and insurance professional about the unique circumstances of your own case. The Prodemnity Claim Stories were originally written by David Croft. The audio episodes are read by Liam Gadsby and produced by Revelator Studio Toronto. The publisher and executive producer of the written stories and audio episodes is Prodemnity Insurance Company Toronto. For more information, including the full legal disclaimer, visit Prodemnity.com.